This Week in Startups is brought to you by Klaviyo is the e-commerce marketing platform that helps brands build relationships with memorable email and SMS messages. Today, more than 50,000 brands like Living Proof, Hint, and Chubbies choose Klaviyo to help them grow. Get started with a free trial at klaviyo.com slash twist. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash twist. LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Get $50 off your first job post at linkedin.com slash twist. And Vanta. Compliance and security shouldn't be a deal breaker for startups to win new business. Vanta makes it easy for companies to get a SOC 2 report fast. Twist listeners can get $1,000 off for a limited time at vanta.com slash twist. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis. We do this podcast two or three times a week and have done so for over 10 years and over a thousand episodes. How crazy is that? Really excited about our next guest. His name is Cortland Allen and he runs a website called IndieHackers.com. And it's kind of a blast to the past, uh, a throwback of a site. When I came into the industry, hackers, hacking, uh, was a new term in the 90s um, and in the 80s, actually, into the 90s. Uh, there was even movies like Hackers and there was hacking culture. Hacking culture, phone freaking culture basically meant, you know, you had uh, a computer and you had some device and you wanted to see if you could just make it do something. And sometimes you wanted to see if you could build something. Sometimes you wanted to break something down. And hacking just meant solving a problem essentially and the industry that i'm in now the the technology industry is driven by that spirit but something weird along the way happened money and money changes everything whether it's music and the music industry the movie industry if you look at any industry once money gets inserted all of a sudden bob dylan and the rolling stones and that era turns into pop and then and disco in the 70s or in the movies martin scorsese and um, you know, the directors from the 70s, the Easy Rider era turned into the 80s big movie era, Rain Man, which then, of course, turns into the CAA era, which then turns into the Marvel era, right? And money changes everything. It just accelerates everything. It perverts everything. And you get a little bit of distance between the art and the creation moment and that consumption moment, right? And this is something that I've been watching and even filled up a big portion of my career. Uh, for some people who don't know, I started a zine. A zine was another version of this. We didn't have blogs. We didn't have the internet back in the day. So if you wanted to get your ideas out, you created what was called a zine. It meant a magazine that was photocopied. It means you didn't have glossy paper. Well, uh, I think some young people are starting to realize that it's kind of cool when you strip away the producers and the managers and the agents and the money. And you just think about the moment and you just think about the hack when you think about the product, when the synapse is burned, when the problem is solved, or you can kind of see the new land, the promised land, you know, from, from the deck of the boat, like we're going to make it. There's a possibility this could work and this could create something amazing. And I long for those days because so much of what I do as an angel investor is just big companies now not little companies doing hacks. And so over the last couple of years, I started saying, where are all the hackers hanging out? 
And there's, there's Hacker News. Everybody knows about that. Product Hunt. And uh, I came across Pioneer Labs. And I came across Indie Hackers, just talking to people who were making projects. And I just started hanging out in those communities and reading the comments. Uh, and I just thought it would be a great moment to have Cortland on to talk about how he, because he's a little younger than I am, I think a lot younger. Uh, he's just another one of these MIT kids, one of these fancy MIT kids. Uh, but welcome to the program, Cortland, founder of Indie Hackers. You heard my little introduction there of the moment. Tell me, what was your moment of inspiration for Indie Hackers? Why did you create it? And then maybe you could expand on if what you see in this sort of moment of creation and, and money changing things and how that relates to the hacking movement in 2020. Yeah. Um, really, I think the moment of inspiration for me was probably in 2011 when I moved to San Francisco and got into Y Combinator. Mm. And if I am being honest about my motivations, like I wanted to start a company, I wanted to get rich and I wanted to do it basically having a lot of fun, which for me meant writing a lot of code, being creative, not having a boss, not having to report to anybody. I would much rather make a lot of money doing it that way than you know working a desk job or going to Wall Street like a lot of other people that I knew. Uh, but when I showed up at YC, it was a little bit different than I thought. Uh, there was there's almost this weird like I don't know how to explain it like this culture of like hero worshiping. It was a little bit um, off putting to me. I remember uh, a day where Mark Andreessen came into YC and. You know, he's this very tall, like six foot two, like, you know, egghead looking guy. He's a very striking yeah. figure. And there are like hundreds of founders just like huddled around him trying to ask him a question and people asking yes. him for his autograph. And I was like, well, what about like the part where we build stuff and we're not just uh, sort of sucking up to these different figures? And the people who I really looked up to in YC were the people that nobody else mobbed. I remember Kevin Hale came and gave a talk and he was running this company, Wufu. And he talked about how they packed their bags, left Silicon Valley, moved to Florida. And they were making millions of dollars a year. They're turning down all their investor phone calls and they're like sharing their profits with the team and just chilling out, living a great life. And I was like, that sounds like the company that I want to build. That sounds like the perfect mm. combination of not only achieving financial independence, but also building a company that gives you basically the perfect lifestyle where you can choose who you want to work with, what you want to work on and all that great stuff. So that was 2011. Fast forward maybe six, seven years of <laughs> a lot of startup pain, a lot of startup failures. And I decided to start Indie Hackers, uh, not only as a way for other people to learn how to build these sort of self-funded, profitable businesses, but also as a way to do that for myself. And when you watched, how did you come to think that the route was coming to Silicon Valley? Why Combinator? Was this just something you were just exposed to at MIT or on the East Coast? You just said, that's the way it's done, right? The, the, you You almost had, uh, I assume, just from the press, from blogs, from podcasts, mm -hmm. just assume that's the way, that's the status game, that is the path. And in a way, it is a really viable path. The industry is super open in that way. They accept whatever, four or 500 people into, four or 500 startups into Y Combinator. And if there's two or three startups, founders right. at each, a thousand people get to go into the industry through that way. And Techstars is probably similar numbers. So how did you... How do you think about how open our industry is mm -hmm. to new people, new ideas? Because it is easy to be cynical in one way. Oh my God, everybody's surrounding Mark. Um, you know, somebody who the last thing he created was Netscape in '95. Oh no, he did Opsware after that, I guess, or whatever. But anyway, you know, it's he, he's a he's a long distance from that, and there is this like hero worship, right? Um, 
Yeah. Well, people were surrounding him because they wanted his money. <laughs> and he's a cool guy. He's a very historic figure. Like, I think Netscape that's an astute observation, thing. by the way, Cortland. It's yeah. a very astute observation. Yeah. But I, it, it was off. I mean, it was off putting to me in other ways, too. I remember there was a guy in my YC batch who had raised from A16Z in like mm. the first week of Y Combinator. And the way people were talking about them, they're like, oh, have you, have you talked to so-and-so? It feels like talking to Mark Zuckerberg before he made it big. Yeah. And like eventually his company <laughs> sort of like flamed out and it didn't yeah. go anywhere. But like everybody was celebrating the fact that he had raised so much money. Nobody was celebrating how successful his business was, how much yep. it had changed his life and other people's lives. But I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about the press. You mentioned, mm. you know, Quirlin, how did you come to this? Well, if you have at all followed startups in the last 15, 20 years, you get your news from like podcasts like this one, from TechCrunch, from the other tech press, from Twitter. And while there isn't any sort of secret cabal meeting in a dark room to try to, you know, push the sort of VC funding narrative, I think just the nature of the tech media is going to do that already. So there's kind of like three different ways this happens. Number one, the press is going to write about what people want to read about. And people want to read about these giant consumer-facing, you know, B2C startups, the Ubers, your Facebooks, your Twitters, your Airbnbs. Exactly. And these are always going to be well-funded companies. So that's going to be like one situation where you you figure out, you know, what story do they have? And it almost always is going through YC or raising a ton of money. The press is also going to want to talk to people like you who are Mm. very well-connected, who have broad knowledge, who have deep access. Generally, you're going to be investors. And then finally, a large, a large number of stories in the press are going to come from the comms departments of well-funded startups or from PR companies. And Ugh. so if you read any of the tech press, basically, you're just going to like, if I go to techcrunch.com right now, I guarantee you like four out of the top five stories are going to be this company raised this much money, X, Y, Z. And so like, you just don't really get exposed to another path if you're reading about this kind of stuff. And when I was in college reading about all this stuff, it was basically TechCrunch and Paul Graham's blog. And every single source said, the way to do this is you raise money. And what I think is insidious about it is that uh, when you consume this much information that doesn't really give you a full picture of the world, uh, it turns out like human beings, we aren't that creative. We don't tend to create new things from scratch. Instead, we're more like remixers. We take the knowledge and the experiences we have from our past and we remix them into other things. And so if all of your knowledge comes from this sort of biased source, which says the only way to start a company is to go through YC or beg angels for money, then you're going to think that's the way to do it. And so that's what I did. But I think the reality is, and you know this just as well as I do, that like you don't need permission to build a business on the internet. No one's going to stop you from going online and putting up a website, charging customers. I mean, you had Dave Weiner on your podcast a week or two ago. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about him. Great guest. Super inspiring guy. Brilliant. Played like this great role in sort of pioneering and spreading RSS and a bunch of other technologies. But he had this other thread running through his story where he just seemed so bitter and upset at investors for never taking a shot on him. And he's right. this brilliant guy. And I was thinking the entire time listening to it, like, you don't need investors to take it. Like, you don't need anybody's permission. Like, you clearly right. were able to do things no, on I mean, your own. He, it, it's such a great observation. And it's kind of the anti-Mark Andreessen in that he doesn't have a billion dollars sitting there to invest. But he did his best work, I believe, when he was just writing code and putting ideas into the world. Mm-hmm. That if if you take RSS out of the world, the podcasting doesn't exist and blogs don't totally. exist. <laughs> so you just think about that sort of like thread of his life. Now, did he properly get compensated for it? He feels he did with the first company. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's easy to to look at that situation and both take two messages from it. One, it's possible to make massive contribution and have a great life, mm-hmm. but it's also possible that this VC machine is sending you a false narrative that this is the only way it can be done when we get back. Right. I want to talk about the indie hacker way and, and how you built and constructed the site, which I think is super interesting. 
and, and you're really learning a lot about community. I can see your iteration as you go with groups and threads and, and how you're using uh, gamification on the website, IndieHackers.com, which you can take a look at uh, when we get back on This Week in Startups. If you're an e-commerce-based business or you have a direct-to-consumer product, then I know you've got Black Friday and Cyber Monday on your mind. You're thinking about this because these are the critical days. Well, don't sweat it because Clavio is here to help you do great on Black Friday and do even better on Cyber Monday. Clavio is the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for online brands of all kinds and sizes. With email automation, SMS marketing, which is working really well, we do it, growth tools and analytics, you'll get everything you need to build strong relationships that keep your customers coming back. And with the holiday season right around the corner, there is no time like the present for you to do this work and get Clavio dialed in and ready to go with those custom messages. You want to get up and running quickly with Clavio's flexible automations, powerful insights, and super precise personalization. And that's really what it's about. So whether you're a billion dollar business or you're just starting out, Clavio is the e-commerce marketing platform for growth during the holidays and into 2021 and 2022. We know people are buying online and you have to be sophisticated and this is the tool you need. I'm going to spell the name for you. K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com slash twist, Clavio.com slash twist, and you will get a free trial and you'll see just how effective it is. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, welcome back to the pod. Cortland Allen from Indie Hackers is here. And uh, yeah, he he, uh, he he came to Silicon Valley, did the VAC thing, Y Combinator, checked the boxes, MIT, checked the boxes, and then decided he wanted to do Indie Hackers. Tell me about how the site works, because I think that's the most interesting right. thing for me, because I was looking to get closer to the people who are builders. I look back mm -hmm. at my portfolio, you know, you take stock of your investments and almost universally the people who had the biggest success with were product people, developers, right. just people obsessed with products. So I was like, okay, where are they hanging out? Because I just, I, I, I'm getting too many people who are hitting me with slick presentations and pitches that are derived from the training I put out <laughs> in the world <laughs> on how to pitch. The gaming so your system. Like, it's they're kind of like gaming the system that like yeah. I put out there in the world, so it's it's an inception point for me. So I've been trying to strip that away and just say, just you know, play the. Can you play the song acoustically for me? Like, where's <laughs> the acoustic version of the song? Like, here's a guitar, yeah, no microphone, no post production. Just let me hear the lyrics and the song, and, and let me take a look at it. And so I've been trolling indie hackers as well as Pioneer Labs, which I think is super cool. Mm -hmm. um, and I had the founder also on the pod. Um, but tell tell everybody how the site works. Yeah, maybe it's uh, best to start with like a little bit of a history of like sure. what Indie Hackers is. So it's a community. Uh, the people on Indie Hackers, as we've been discussing, are people who uh, I think prioritize freedom above everything else. So they are in it, mm. are, are in it for the glory. They're not trying to um, blitz scale their way to a unicorn valuation. Uh, in fact, they don't really even want to have investors or any sort of boss telling them what to do. What they want is to gain their financial independence usually on their own terms, and that means they want to have creative. Uh, freedom to do what they want. They want to work on their own schedule, whatever hours, whatever months of the year they want to work from whatever location with whatever people they choose to be around. So it's all about freedom. And these people were all hanging out on Hacker News four or five years ago and yeah. kind of like these little discussions that would pop up every few months. You know, what's your one person SaaS company? How are you making money online? And there wasn't really any other place 
on the web where you could go to find out these stories. And so I was one of these people. This is what I wanted to do as well. And I would go there uh, religiously and I would just like devour every story of the Peter Levels of the world or the Josh Pickfords who had these bootstrap businesses uh, to try to figure out how they were doing it. And eventually I realized like, hey, this is an unsolved problem. There are clearly many thousands of people just like me who are trying to figure out this information and there's just no place for them to go because the tech press has basically got a monopoly on all startup stories and they only care about like the giant glitzy B2C well-funded startups. And so Andy Hackers got its start actually as a, a tiny little blog. Like V1 of Andy Hackers was a blog with 10 posts on it. And every one of them was an interview with a different bootstrapped founder, usually developers. And they would all share, here's how much money I'm making. Here is how I came up with my idea. Here's how I wrote the first lines of code, got my first customers. Just completely transparent, giving back to the community because you know someone in their history had helped them get started. And I think that was really the backbone of Andy Hackers. But it was only a blog for maybe a month. Within a month or two, I built kind of a community forum. There's also a mailing list. And now there's a podcast as well. And today, the community forum is front and center. So if you go to andyhackers.com, you've got a giant thriving forum. There's 140,000 members. And these aren't like the peanut gallery. These are people who are actually building businesses. Right. And they're asking each other questions. They're helping each other out. And there's a bunch of ancillary sort of supplemental resources where people can kind of share their stories. So there's groups in these communities where people who have similar interests can help each other. So for example, we have the largest no-code group on the internet. 17,000 indie hackers are part of that group. And they share their stories and tips about no-code tools and no-code startups. We've got a giant directory of about 12,000 products where indie hackers can say, this is what I'm working on. Here's my timeline. So you can go read anybody's history of you know, all the steps they took to build their company. And most of the products on there are transparent. So they'll either plug into Stripe and share their revenue numbers, or they'll just type in their revenue numbers. Yeah, and, and I want to pause on that because I think that's kind of the most interesting part for me. There's a lot of forums. And like you said, there's Hacker News, there's Reddit, mm-hmm. there's Quora, plenty of places people have to discuss tech news. Um, it, product Hunt, you know, takes the, the products, you know, sort of vision of it first as opposed to the building piece. But like you're saying, those things quickly devolve. They become sort of, as you said on your Twitter, haters as a service. Hacker News is basically like a way to post something and get demolished because yeah. like all communities, it gets too big and collapses on itself. But you've well, really people been- don't have skin in the game. Like you post on Hacker News and you get a bunch of haters who've never built anything who are just going to talk down about what yeah. you're doing. But if you post on Indie Hackers, guess what? Everybody commenting is another founder who's probably failed a bunch of times. They have a lot of empathy. They have a lot of understanding and they can put themselves in your shoes. And they can say, okay, even if I make this mistake in the future, like I don't want to get hated on, so I'm not going to hate on this person. Yeah, if you've been in the kitchen and you've cooked and you're talking to another chef about what you're making, you're going to have a different conversation than talking to the reviewers who review the restaurants for a living, totally. who are completely cynical, who have eaten at the best places for the best years, and they're not thinking about you know, uh, the heat of the oven and, no. you know, the, the, the spice or whatever you're going to use in the cooking technique. And, and the fact that you broke it apart, I thought is really super interesting and connecting your Stripe. Uh, I know Stripe bought the website. We'll get into that in the next segment or bought the business. Um, but they kind of leave you alone, which was mm-hmm. kind of interesting, but you had that idea before that there's somebody else who does that bare metrics, I think, yep. um, allows people to just share their metrics publicly. There's just like weird group of people who are building transparent companies. It's another sort of movement. Do you know what the name of that movement is? It kind of fizzled. Open startups. A, open startups. Yeah. Like yeah. maybe 10 years ago, five, 10 years ago, open startups were a thing where I would just talk about everything I was doing. You know, it's almost like put your Slack public and just yeah. talk about what you're building. It never really worked. I don't know if there's a big example of it, but 
Uh, there was a company called uh, Buffer that became mm-hmm. famous because they made ten million in revenue and they just published it on Bear Metrics. But you broke down into the component steps um, how to do this, and you really put a mission statement at the website. And I think it's worth pausing on for a second when you click the Start Here button at Indie Hackers. When you first come to the website, you see all the discussions, so that's great. But when you click the Start Here, which is where a new person would go. You know, it defines what an indie hacker is as somebody who's building an online project that can generate revenue. That's very intentional because mm-hmm. you see this as, uh, you know, a business proposition here and a person seeking financial independence, creative freedom, and the ability to work on their own schedule. So again, back to that personal freedom. I think that's super totally. cool. And whether it's 500 a month on the side or 10,000 a month so you can quit your job, uh, it's never easy to draw an income from your own projects. Follow the steps below to get started. It's really intentional to be capitalistic um, yeah. and to be about freedom. Which, by the way, is kind of what America is about. Tell me about that sort of intentionality of telling people like, you're here because you're going to make yourself independent and free of work, of financial freedom, basically the American dream. Why have you chosen to fight and make your life's work to show people how to build the American dream in the 21st century? I mean, I think it's just a natural thing for people to want. This is not something where I'm having to convince people that this is a good dream to have and like people are sort of resistant a lot of people are almost constitutionally unable to work for a boss or they feel really down about having a nine-to-five job or they feel like they could do something bigger and better with their lives um and there just isn't like there haven't been traditionally great avenues for doing that and the internet is this great democratizing tool anybody can get on the internet and again there are no gatekeepers just because there are investors who have money doesn't mean you need to take their money anybody can just get on the internet and build a transformative business. And I think it's naturally inspirational to lots of people. When I was reading those threads on Hacker News, I was inspired by the thought of what, what I could do. And when I looked around kind of my tribe, for example, when I was in Y Combinator, uh, someone in my batch sold their company for like, I think $2 million, like a few months after starting it, which I thought was amazing. Like, holy crap, you could start a company and make millions of dollars in a few months. That's life changing. That doesn't happen anywhere else. And everybody else around me was kind of like, oh, they sold out way too early. I can't believe they didn't have right ambition. And uh, that was bizarre to me. And I yeah. didn't want my values to become like their values. I think your values can easily come in from whatever tribe you're a part of. And that's kind of like the high growth startup mindset. You know, you go big or you go home. Uh, when I like introspected about my life and the people who I respected and the people who I wanted to respect me, and I thought about, well, I'm a software engineer. I could sit down and code something that, you know, there's no reason it can't make 10 or 20 grand a month. And then I can pay all my bills, pay my rent. And then do literally anything I want with my life. And that would make me happy. I'm pretty sure everyone that I know would be like, that's cool as shit. I would love to do that too. Um, and then I can decide if I want to go bigger or I want to go to a new career or a new profession. And a lot of other people have the same mission. Like They want the freedom. They want the, the financial independence to have the optionality to choose what they want to do with their lives later on. And so it wasn't you know, this flash of insight like, oh, aha, I know what people want. Uh, it's just kind of obvious that people... Have this desire. Really interesting to me because on paper, you look like the overachieving checkbox, like (laughs) stereotypical, like uh, overachiever, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, MIT, Y Combinator, software engineer, starting their own company multiple times. But actually, you got red pilled in the original sense of the red pill, not red pill like becoming a Republican Trump bullshit, but. You got red pilled into realizing you can actually control your own destiny and define success for yourself as opposed to having it put on you by a bunch of sycophants 
um, at Y Combinator who have now decided that the only way to define success is if you beat whatever the previous high score was. It's right. literally like looking at the Donkey Kong machine and going, okay, this person hit this high <laughs> score. Anything less than that high score equals failure. When we get back, I want to talk about the six steps to being an indie hacker as defined on your website with the first one being, I think, super informative and empowering, which is committing and defining. I'm adding the word defining, but I think committing and defining are kind of similar. Committing and defining to a goal as step one when we get back on This Week in Startups. The colorful days of fall are upon us. Maybe you're having a hot cocoa or some warm cider. But are your small businesses' needs evolving? I bet they are. Things are very different. And having the right people on your team is like having that warm blanket wrapping you up by the fire with that hot cocoa. And when your business is ready to make that next hire, LinkedIn Jobs can help you by matching your role with the qualified candidate so you can find the right person quickly. LinkedIn has over 706 million members worldwide and getting started is easier than ever with new features to help you find qualified candidates quickly. Manage job posts and contact candidates from a single view on that familiar LinkedIn.com interface. You know all the functions. It's all streamlined. Aaron Mason is the founder of MAI, and he uses AI to optimize travel time on work schedules. And he gave us this great testimonial. He wanted to get a machine learning engineer, um, and it's really hard to find those. He received 110 relevant applications and only one, two, three four days they're so confident you're going to love it they're going to give you 50 bucks right now 5-0 the 50 is coming to you uh, go to linkedin.com slash twist again that's linkedin.com slash t-w-i-s-t to get 50 dollars off your first job post terms and conditions of course apply because they are giving you 50 bucks thanks to linkedin for supporting the show in 2020 and into 2021 Cortland allen from indie hackers is on the pod uh what a great guest and uh we were just talking a little bit. You're a podcaster as well. What's the name of your podcast? The Indie Hackers Podcast. Okay, so very creative branding there. <laughs> you, you literally added the word podcast to the domain <laughs> name. Very smart, by the way. Very smart. Uh, people name their podcasts too creatively. They're like, instead of calling this like what our company name is, like we we'll name it something else. And how mm -hmm. many pods have you done so far? I think about 180 episodes. Oh, and wow. You're for the branding, pace. I mean, I... I Specifically wanted to call, like, indie hackers is a made-up term. Four years ago, there was no word indie hackers. But now a lot of people are describing themselves as indie hackers rather than startup founders, etc. So I try to use that term everywhere possible to talk about the, this, kind of this new breed of founder. Yeah. And let's go through the steps here. Okay. Number one is commit to a goal. Why did you choose this as step one? Uh, it's pretty simple. I think if you look at what inspires people... Uh, at least in the indie hacker sort of startup space, what I found is it's almost always uh, achievement. So what we do at Indie Hackers is we put out a lot of stories that sort of counter like the mainstream tech press stories of people raising money. And we'll say, oh, look at Tara Reid. She's got her business. She bootstrapped it to $5 million a year in revenue. Look how great her life is. Uh, look at Mike Carson. He's got his business. He's a one-person company. He bootstrapped to $1.5 million in revenue. Now he's just like chilling, doing whatever he wants. And that resonates with people when they see like these numbers and they see the lifestyle that they can achieve. And I think you need some sort of motivating kind of goal that you're searching for because it's really freaking hard to start a company and it's really yep. easy to quit. And so I think when people start and they don't have a number in mind they want to hit or they don't have a lifestyle in mind that they want to they work towards, when things get tough, 
they don't have anything to remind themselves of why they should keep going. And so I think the very first thing you should do is have some sort of goal, some sort of timeline, so you know when to call it quits, or you know why you're going to keep going when things are tough. Yeah, when you're on a flight and you're flying to Australia or something, they have the little monitor that shows your flight path. Yeah. And how many miles to go, you know, and I always wish they put the percentage on instead of miles, because I don't know if you're like me, where you or your mind automatically calculates the percentage and I'm dividing yeah. the number two numbers and the denominator. And I'm like, OK, 72 percent of the way to Sydney. Uh, and it's very important because if you don't define what success is to you, then that means your brain is going to fill it in. And where totally. does your brain fill it in from? It's going to fill it in from the press. I mean, the mind is a wonderful way to make yourself go mad because your mind just spews ideas constantly. And your mind is just, my, my friend Sam Harris, name drop, um, of another podcaster. But, you know, Sam told me at one point, like, don't, don't listen to what's in your head too much. You know, sit back and look at your thoughts as a river and look at yourself as sitting on the bank of the river, watching your thoughts go by. And you can really pay attention to one of those thoughts or you can just let them go down the river. Yep. It is your choice because your mind is going to flow all of those ideas constantly. You're a genius. You're a failure. You're average. Whatever it is, the the or the goals. I have to make a billion dollars. I got to make a million dollars. Well, I mean, one of the things that's happened, and I'm curious how the pandemic has. It must have had a, a creative effect to IndieHackers.com because people have now realized. Wait a second. I set the goal at making a hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Because I wanted to buy a house in San Francisco and I needed to pay seven thousand for a mortgage, and they worked backwards from some crazy, you know, household goal living in the Bay Area. Now that's cracked, and people are like, "Wait a second, I can be." In I saw one of my previous uh, employees and collaborators took the Barbados deal, where you can go to Barbados for a year on a visa, and yeah. I was like, "And you and you don't pay any tax. Uh, you just pay two grand or something, and you get to get a visa there." So, it, how has how has this committing to a goal and the cost of a lifestyle that suddenly, again, people got red-pilled. I'm not mm -hmm. saying red-pilled in the Trump sense. I'm saying red-pilled in the matrix sense of like understanding the truth. The truth of the world is we, coming to San Francisco will pervert what you think you need to make for a living. Totally. I think and you're hitting on something really important, which is you never want... like You don't want to live uh, a very indeliberate life. You don't want your goals to be these unquestioned things that come into you from your tribe or from society where you just suddenly want all these things that you don't... Like you didn't choose to want. And a place like Silicon Valley or the tech industry where you have all of these very strong, driven, ambitious personalities, and you have these crazy inspirational stories of people making billions of dollars and changing the world, it's really easy to have unconsidered goals. So I think, you know, I'm right there with you. Like the yeah. Sam Harris like transcendental meditation reference too. Uh, you want to be considered, you want to watch your thoughts and like make sure you know that your goals are ones that you set because that's what you actually want to accomplish. You can also change them, correct? And so when people mm -hmm. start hitting their goals, how does one decide to move the goalposts? Do you have yeah. a process for that or have you thought about it? I've thought about it a lot, but it's really very personal because everybody's goals are different. So there's mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, one language that almost everybody can speak. Everybody can speak the language of money. So if I say, oh, I started a business and now I live on a beach, well, that'll resonate with some people, but other people are like, I don't want to live on a beach. But if mm -hmm. I say I started a business and now I'm making a million dollars a year, well, money's fungible. Everybody can imagine what they would use a million dollars a year to do in their life. Some people would live on a beach. Some people would buy a bunch of houses. Some people would hire a big team and like build a bigger business. So for example, um, you know, there's a group of indie hackers, two brothers actually, who host the platform that I use to record podcasts on. It's called Riverside.fm. They started their company, I think they launched in March of this year, right before the pandemic got big. 
And their revenue blew up so quickly. It was like a life changing amount of revenue with just these two brothers that they had quickly to decide, like, you know, what do we want with this business? You know, do we want to just like sit on a pile of money? <laughs> do we want to? And what are big? we talking about? Like quarter million dollars a year, a million dollars a year in revenue? They're I public t- about I, it on the site. I talked to them about it. I mean, they're not. So right. they're in the Indie Hackers product directory, but like the revenue is way, way less there than it is in real life. Um, I can say it's a life changing amount of money, but they decided right. what they wanted to do was raise money. So they raised a seed round, two and a half million. And now they've had like all sorts of like Hillary Clinton did a podcast on their platform and they've got like a Amazing. ton of people using it. Um, but like they decided to go big. Another example would be Tara Reed, who I mentioned earlier. She's got a business called Apps Without Code, where she's basically teaching people how to build online businesses without using any code. And she's putting up crazy numbers. I mean, she's enrolling, I think, 300 or so new students a month. And if you compare that to Lambda School, like the last I heard, they're enrolling like four or 500 students a month. But the difference is like Lambda School's raised like $100 million. Tara bootstrapped her business. She's charging like a couple thousand dollars a head. She's doing five or six million dollars a year in revenue and it's growing rapidly. And she's at a point where she has to also decide, you know, what do I want to do as an indie hacker? Do I want to like just live off this money? Do I want to go big? Uh, and like that's a decision that's very personal. But like as you said, the goal is something that changes. And you have to realize that like once you hit certain milestones, your goals are going to change. And what I think separates indie hackers from a lot of other people is that they understand that in order to build something ambitious, you don't necessarily have to start with something ambitious. You can start somewhere small. And leverage that to get to sort of jump to the next pond. And then, you know, you can build up advantages there. And if that goes well, you can jump to an even bigger pond, or you can just stay there and relax and do what you want to do, or go back and start a totally new business from scratch. The whole point is it's freedom, right? The whole point is yeah. you can choose what you want to do. I've always had a very simple philosophy of these goals. Like, I, I never even thought about being an angel investor. I just wanted to be rich and buy the next and mm-hmm. bring a championship to New York. Uh, I also wanted to be a millionaire at one point and just be financially independent because sure. I was financially insecure as a kid. But once you start doing something like, say, investing in startups, it's very easy when you hit two unicorns to say, you know what, I wonder if I could hit five or I've hit right. five, can I hit 10? And I've, I've already set the lifetime goal now. I just said, well, you know what, at the pace I'm going and the, you know, the number I hit, it's conceivable I could hit 25 unicorns if I work for 10 more years. So I'll be 50. I think in a week or two, November 28th, we're taping this on the 18th, I think. Uh, so in 10 days from the taping this, I'll be 50 years old. And I could very, obviously very clearly retire. And I was like, I kind of love what I do. Mm-hmm. I'm trolling Indie Hacker to try to find new products and services to invest in. Like I wake up and I don't want to retire. So I was like, <laughs> okay, so what's a goal here? And I just posted it to my, uh, you know, my Twitter feed and I pinned it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of did that in a way to be aspirational, like you're saying, I literally my pinned tweet right now is explaining what I'm trying to do with the last you know 10 yep. years of my professional life, which is make enough money to buy the Knicks or at least have a chance at it. Because um, as a young adult, I, that was a dream. So why not try for it? But also to just be the best investor of all time. Mm-hmm. Why not set a goal? And, and people are so, I don't know, what's the word? It's not woke, but it's the sort of anti-capitalists it's not socialist but whatever it is on twitter we need to discuss this because there is an anti-capitalism anti-success that you're actually not part of no but you're also not part of the venture machine so you have the venture machine all the way on the right which is like go big go home blitz Mm -hmm. scale then on the left you have the i call it the hysterical left where nobody should have any choice, everything should be provided by the state, socialism, communism for the win, break up big tech. Uh, I wonder 
what your thoughts are in terms of living mm. between those two extremes when we get back on This Week in Startups. Why is SOC 2 compliance so critically important? Well, if you don't have your SOC 2 buttoned up, you can't close major customers. It's really that simple. And guess what? Vanta, V-A-N-T-A, is going to give you $1,000 off right now. Uh, Vanta's compliance software makes it easier to get and renew your SOC 2. So if SOC 2 is part of your 2021 plan, sign up with Vanta right now so you can get the prep work done and start your New Year's really quickly you go to vanta.com slash twist and twist listeners i kid you not will get one thousand dollars off on average you know vanta customers will get their sock to compliance in just two to four weeks which is compared to like three to five months without vanta we recently had a twist listener email us about how much they love vanta john i'll just leave it at that as the ceo of a drone startup called kitty hawk we know well and uh, he told us vanta was uh, essentially helping them get sock to compliant quickly and easily and he was so thankful of that discount and getting that thousand dollars and he loves the tie-ins with google slack github and aws which are all essential apps to run kitty hawk's business the software continuously tests against technical and non-technical sock 2 requirements and they partner with over two dozen audit firms who have been trained to support sock 2 reports directly with vanta on average as i said vanta customers get compliant within two to four weeks compared to three to five months. That's all you need to know. They make it easy. They make it fast, easy breezy, and $1,000, vanta.com slash twist. Portland Allen is here from Indie Hackers. Go check out the Indie Hackers podcast uh, and uh, visit indiehackers.com. You can join my uh, group, which is Ask an Angel, which is right now uh, defunct because I haven't been in the community as often as I should be. I'm going to set, I got to set a calendar just to look at it every Sunday morning when I'm having my coffee. I love the website, and I love the fact that you tell you, you intentionally tell people these steps. Find a partner. That's obvious. Partner's good because. I mean, ultimately, partner. it's a huge uh, motivator. There's a number of reasons why you want to have a partner. Um, social accountability is one of the strongest factors to get you to do stuff. And I think one of the things that a lot of new founders find when they quit their job and start working for themselves is that, hey, a reason why you got a lot of the work done that you used to get done is because you had a boss, because somebody mm. would hold you accountable. And if you're a software engineer or not, uh, and you suddenly left with all this free time to yourself to build your own business, it's very easy to just do the things that you want to do all the time. And it's very hard to get kind of off the ground and force yourself to do these other tasks that your business needs to survive. So I like the accountability aspect. People can complement your skill set as well. Uh, so if you don't, you know, like I'm sort of like a jack of all trades, designer, full stack engineer, but most indie hackers are not. In fact, a lot of any hackers don't even know how to code. And so if you can partner up with somebody who knows and kind of fill in these gaps that you don't have, it's just much easier to build a successful business. You're also a front man. You're like a lead singer. Like, don't, I wouldn't leave that <laughs> part out. Like, you know, every band needs a front man, like to front woman. I, I don't know what the non-gender specific word is, but, you know, the lead singer uh, to get mm. out there and, and be there at the front of the band and say, hey, listen to our music. So the first two commit to a goal and find a partner. They're both about accountability, right? And sort of totally. framing what we're going to try to achieve here. Brainstorming an I- idea. Um, this is one where we could talk for hours, um, and we'll get to that in a second, but you are now sitting between this, and, and maybe it's just a function of being on Twitter too much, but there seems to be, in addition to what we've already unpacked, so we don't need to unpack it again, the venture industrial complex, I'll call it. Yeah. You got the, the VC, IC, venture capital industrial complex on one side. You have to do it this way. You have to blitz scale. Even though they don't say that, it is implied. 
and and the scorecard is how much money you raise and your valuation, not your customer delight and you know personal goals. But then on that, we haven't really talked about that. What I'll call the hysterical left party, the mm. H uh, LP, or uh, hysterical socialist party. Okay. HSP. And then you're not saying that I am. So when they come to <laughs> cancel anybody, you cancel me. But you have the Bernie Bros, Elizabeth Warren, AOC, you know, sure. just anti tech, but they also seem to be anti opportunity hmm. at their worst, where they don't believe that people can achieve. And I will, I'll once in a while tweet, and I just, I literally do it on purpose. I'm just like, I'm going to just crack open a red pill here and just mm -hmm. put it on the counter and snort it and just tweet you something like to court insane. controversy. I, I like to just troll. I mean, I'm, at this point, I'm going to just admit it. I'm just trolling with half these tweets just to, for my own entertainment. <laughs> but I'll say something like, I believe people can learn any skill if they work sure. hard enough. And that will make the, his, the, the, the hysterical socialist party go bonkers. No, nobody can achieve their goals. Nobody can learn anything. And I mean, the truth is, you went to MIT. How much of that gatekeeping determined getting into YC, starting indie hackers, or being part of this in all? I mean, it's, it certainly helped. I'm not saying it didn't, but... Totally. Yeah. Uh, how I mean, much has it helped the indie hackers? How much has it helped Tara Reid or other folks who are building stuff i mean the the indie hackers who i look up to almost none of them went to like elite schools and we talked about this earlier like you don't need permission i think the idea that you're going to go to an elite school or that you're going to join a prestigious company and work your way up the ladder a lot of that is based on this desire to always like get recognition from other people mm. and capitalism especially creating companies is based on the idea that like it doesn't matter if somebody gives you a job or somebody pats you on the back or gives you a degree or a title or anything what matters is that you build something of actual value for another person such that like they're willing to give you money for that thing and ideally it's like a win-win situation it's not this evil terrible thing where you're just extracting money from uh the poor people of society like you're providing goods yeah. for them and they like it and everybody's happy so i don't and think anybody made a choice would to consume that product i mean that's the other exactly. thing left out of this like hysterical left they're like uh and listen i, I I'm a libertarian. I'm on the left. I voted for Hillary. I'm, you know, I'd never vote for Trump. I hate him. Like they, they, they literally believe that people are not able to, ch to learn a new skill. I mean, that's where we've gotten to in the narrative that people can't open up YouTube or brilliant.org or Khan Academy or Lambda or, you know, apps without code, whatever it is. I mean, they're, how do you know feel about the, I don't know if I agree. Okay. Well, know, let's get into that. Cause I don't know if like, you if, could, you would go on Twitter and say like, if you were to ask AOC, like, do you believe people can learn a new skill? She would say no. You know, and I don't I don't think it's like I think it's a little bit disingenuous to say that somebody believes something that they almost certainly wouldn't agree with. But I get like I get your point. And I think where a lot well, of the I'm just discourse talking about the dies, reaction I get en masse, which is right. the system is rigged. People sure. can't I don't know AOC, so sure, I can't sure. specifically pin the quote to her, but that, that whole left side says, listen, we we you people are not people are being held back from learning new skills. So if we think first principles do you think people can learn most skills online? I think there's an explosion in the number of skills that people are learning online. Obviously, you see like a lot of these creator economy platforms where people who aren't even part of the tech industry are learning how to like make amazing videos on YouTube or TikTok or become great streamers or open up Shopify stores and are making lots of money, providing lots of value for people because these platforms exist to make them sort of uh, amplified versions of themselves. I also think that a lot of this discourse gets confused because 
we end up just taking the most extreme version of every single statement instead of just like mm. meeting in the reasonable middle. And perhaps it's Twitter's fault. It's very hard to have a nuanced conversation on Twitter, but like it is. Yeah. It's possible to say that like you like capitalism, but also that capitalism has some problems <laughs> that need to be fixed. And like there are ways in which the system is sort of rigged. And for yeah. whatever reason, everybody feels like they need to be on one extreme or the other where something is perfect or something is not, or if something is not perfect, then we might as well get rid of it. I mean, you see this uh, in politics all the time nowadays where it's the media is rigged down with the media. And it's like, well, like, yeah, there are issues with the media. We would all agree. But like, what's the second best alternative? Like conspiracy theories and yeah. on YouTube Info and like the blogosphere. Yeah, like, like we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> we want to actually like look at these systems yeah. and figure out, okay, what are the issues and let's make them better. And a lot of what I want to think I'm doing at Indie Hackers is teaching people that like, hey, this is actually a very democratic system. You don't need to go to a top tier college. You don't need to, you know, email Jason and follow his playbook and beg him for money. Like you can basically follow these steps, put in some work and build a company that changes your life and other people's lives. And like, there's no sort of gatekeeping anywhere in that process. So I, you, I, when people say to you, um, well, I, you know, I have to work a job and I, you know, I work 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week. I can't do this and I don't know how to code and I don't have any skills. Mm hmm. What is the advice you give those people? Because I get this a lot too. I get, I get this all the time. Like, what about this person? Like, there, there's some, there's some ideal customer profile that people sure. put in their head of somebody who is unable <laughs> to learn a new skill and to create a company. Yeah, I mean, like, is, does that idea customer profile of the person who can't do it exist? And how do you uh, think about I mean, that? The do playing we, field is just, obviously not level. There are obviously okay. people who are born like with a lot more hardships or a lot fewer advantages than others. Like if I look at my own childhood, I was born in the United States of America. I had Jack. two loving parents who were like Jack. very <laughs> invested in my brother and I's childhood, and like I grew up in a nice community where I didn't have to worry about like drugs or violence. Like there's a bunch of different stuff where it's like these are the sort of hidden advantages that like I have and lots of other people have. That being said, I think when you get to this bar of like people can't learn. I don't think that's true. I think people just have to overcome more challenges. And I love the internet because it makes it easier to overcome a lot of these challenges. So for example, let's say you are uh, working a full-time job. Perhaps you have a spouse. Perhaps you have kids. Well, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, it would have been unheard of for you to like on the side build a tech startup. Like, you didn't have the money to even buy servers. It, it's a non-starter. Yeah. But today, you, you, like, you, you, we have like, the level to which technology has progressed. Uh, it's almost like this runaway reaction. Like In physics, there's this idea of the self-sustaining reaction. Or in AI, there's this idea of like the the um, what do you call it? Like the singularity, where like the AI yeah, can sure. build another AI and it gets better. If you build a fire and you have hot coals, when you put yeah. the next log on, it burns quicker. Like, and the same thing is happening with tech startups. Like in almost like three or four different ways, where there's so much going on to make it easier to start a company, it's hard to even catalog. But like you, when we mentioned open startups and transparency, it's so easy nowadays to go online and find like a million stories of founders who told you exactly how they came up with their ideas, exactly how they overcame all these challenges, exactly how much money they're making. And you can learn way easier than ever. You can learn how to code mm. for literally free at Lambda School. You can learn how to build right. apps without code using uh, Tara Reese. Free company. code camp. Free code camp. Free. Like there's a ton of resources that just make it easier, and therefore more people get started, and those people build more resources, and it's like a chain self-sustaining reaction. Plus, it's there's also tools Plus that make it easier to code. Podcasts, yeah. Um, yeah, like, like no-code tools, low-code tools. Yeah. Like I just interviewed David Chu from Retool, and like they're allowing basically programmers to build interfaces like drag and drop style. So suddenly. Mm. If you like, you know, couldn't have worked nights and weekends to build your company in the past, now you can build a, an app way faster, even as a software engineer, than you could in the past. And I talk to indie hackers every day who've built businesses that are generating 10, 20, 30 grand a month in revenue working nights and weekends. I mean, there's this yeah. guy, Jordan O'Connor, who's got this app, Closet Tools, 
And it's like he had kids. He had a spouse. He had a full-time job. He would get up and just like work two or three hours a day on his app. And now I think it's making 20 grand a month and he's quit his job. So I think there's a and, path. And I bet he might have had debt, could have had a mortgage, right? Yeah, you never he's know. got like real Credit responsibilities, but like it's yeah. just like the, like the world is just making it easier for people like this. Like our community manager at Indie Hackers, Rosie Sherry, I, she was one of the very first people that I interviewed. She has this community um, of software testers that she bootstrapped to like a million in revenue. She has five kids. She homeschools her kids. She was doing this before the pandemic. <laughs> she's a spouse. <laughs> she has a bunch of stuff. Now she has her own paid newsletter. Like she's a machine. But like she's not like some superhuman machine. She's taking advantage of the latest tools and technology and resources out there to allow her to get more done in the limited amount of time that she has. And so like when so, I look toward the future, I think a lot more people are going to figure out like, oh, hey, uh, this is way easier than it sounds. It's not easy, but it's easier than it sounds. You're optimistic. You believe anybody can do it in a way that, at least in America, let's say, let, let's keep it here in America as a conversation because we can't control what's happening in North Korea as an example mm-hmm. or Afghanistan. But in, in America, anybody who's in America who hears our voice, it's never, the opportunity has never been more open. Correct. The knowledge has never been more freely available. The tools have never been cheaper and in, are more often than not free. And it's going to keep so, going in that direction. Directionally, it's only going to get easier to build, make a living for yourself online. Yet people feel it's unfair. Yet people feel it's rigged. Yet people I think you can feel have both of these ideas victims at the same so time. Wh- why is it? Why, well, why what, do you, what, like, well, you can? Like, I just don't understand why you can't have both of these. Like they're both true. You can say a system is unfair, and you can also say things are getting better. Those aren't contradictory statements. They're both true. And I think one of the issues is for some reason we look at them as being mutually exclusive. Like you can say, right. okay, racism in America exists, but you can also say that like. America's probably less racist than it's ever been. There is no year in the past true, that true. I would want to... It's probably two very correct statements. Right. Uh, I mean, they're two truths, right? Yeah. I, I would not Maybe go back to the Maybe it's an obvious past. one, right? It's almost like... It seems obvious. And if you talk to people in person, like you, can, like, you and I can resolve this and find agreement. On Twitter, it's yeah. really difficult to find agreement. So maybe we just need to spend less time on Twitter. I think it's, there's a Twitter piece. But I, I do think that there is definitely a victim mentality for a group of people who want to create this ideal profile of somebody... I'm using the ideal customer profile because it's mm-hmm. kind of paradoxical as we do that in building startups. We try to find this customer profile and it's, they're trying to find this person who can't do it. And I always, when I meet these folks who are having a hard time, I just say, well, what you, tell me your skills. And they're like, I have ideas. I'm like, okay, that's not a skill. That's, you know, <laughs> like a, and we, we all have like 50 ideas when we're asleep every night. Like it's the ideas is not it. So do you have a skill yet? And if not, what skill do you think you could acquire quickly? Like, Growth marketing, no code, sure. writing, social media. There's so many of those available. You know, add one of those skills. And then the next sort of card I turn over is uh, I asked them, did you watch Breaking Bad? Have mm-hmm. you watched The Sopranos or did you watch Game of Thrones? Did you watch any of those shows? I've watched all of them. You watched all three of them. Okay. So I don't know the number of hours, but I'm literally going to calculate the hours <laughs> for how many hours those each are. Because I think if you watched Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, The Sopranos, or any, you know, pick five popular series, <laughs> which were well worth watching, incredible TV, it would be a thousand hours, wouldn't it? Yeah. Or 500? It's a ton Somewhere of hours. That, if you just said, I'm going to miss those three amazing, amazing shows, the next three of those amazing shows, and I'm not going to let myself watch them until I know how to do a paid newsletter, until I know no code, 
or I'm going to do half and half, right? Yeah. And I try to explain that discipline to people. What I love about what you're doing is you're kind of telling people, build in public accountability, find a partner accountability, and commit to a goal accountability. Well, if you're going to be accountable to this goal, then some other discretionary time has got to go away. Totally. Whether it's with your kids, whether it's with you know playing poker with your friends like I do every or used to do every week, you know, or watching TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically what has to happen is people have to want it, right? I was uh, at one of the Stripe Q&A sessions with the founders. So every Friday, yeah. Stripe will do Q&A with Patrick and John. And this must have been two or three years ago when like, Game of Thrones was still on. <laughs> but Patrick was describing how his uh, strategy is to go to Wikipedia, read the episode summaries in like five minutes <laughs> so he could pretend like he's seen the show. Uh, and, and, get actually, to, and get back to 65 minutes. <laughs> and then get back to the, yeah, get back to 65 minutes and do the things he's more passionate about doing. So, I mean, I'm not like, I've watched all the shows that you've named. I live yes. like a rich and enjoyable life. I have lots of friends. Um, and I think that's like what's cool about technology today yeah. is you can do a lot of fun stuff and still have time to build your company. Abs- you can work a full-time absolutely. job and still yeah. have time to, to build your company. But I think one of the most important ingredients that you need to have is you need to have optimism. It's a self-fulfilling mm. prophecy. If you believe that you can do something, then you're going to try harder to do it. And Got when it. you fail, you're going to keep trying. And like that leads to more success because you just get more shots on goal. And when you succeed, you're going to be more optimistic about it in the future. So it's just like a self-fulfilling prophecy in the people I see who... You're literally making the, you're making the flywheel image the for flywheel. people who are, who are you know, listening instead of watching. And so the what flywheel. I worry about is this, this message that you can't do it, um, that like, the deck is stacked against you, that you might as well not even try. Because that's like a negative flywheel. And it gets people to not try and then not succeed and then believe they can't do it. And so I think to be a founder, like, you need to have optimism and you need to ideally not quit. Um, because like, you know, we talk about the... Yeah. We talk about the right. reasons why companies fail. You could say the market wasn't big enough or the competition out-executed you or you had a co-founder dispute, but like really all this comes down to is quitting. Okay, the market wasn't big enough and then what? You pivoted? No, you quit. Um, that's why you failed. So ultimately, I think optimism and that flywheel powers you to not quit what you're working on and not quitting is why you can eventually succeed. It's really interesting. Like I, I've never really thought of the flywheel in reverse. But the flywheel dragging you down into oh, this. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. It, it really is terrible. If you just, I mean, if you think about addiction, is one of those parts of the flywheel. People get depressed. They, you know, they lost their job. They start drinking. Drinking leads to popping pills right. or whatever it is. Well, this is why I have I've, I've, a lot of sympathy for people who say capitalism is broken and like there isn't equal opportunity. And like there are people trapped in negative flywheels through really no fault of their own. And like those are systems that need to be fixed. Mm. Yeah. There definitely are. And then, I th- the I think the problem is the two sides blame each other. So it's like capitalism right. is in fact the flywheel that can pull you out of the negative flywheel of you know injustice, racism, drugs, depression, whatever it happens to be, right? My favorite thing is to see somebody from like a the underdog succeed. Somebody from like yeah. an underrepresented background or with all the disadvantages stacked against them and then they build a successful company. That's that's, that's how favorite. I always felt about myself. And then people tell me, Jason, you're a white kid from Brooklyn. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but I feel like I went to like school at night. I didn't go to MIT. Everybody's you know, the like, hero of their own story. I, I, I do think that uh, for people who are, uh, you know, listening, not watching, uh, you're an African-American. I'm a white guy. Mm-hmm. How does how do you feel about racism in tech, about the industry in general? Uh, yeah. And I'm not like forcing you like, Sure. You're a black guy. You've got to like address this for the entire black community. But <laughs> I, we we are here at this crossroads of opportunity, and let's face it, it's not even a, a black and white issue right now. Mm-hmm. I, a lot of the people who voting for Trump now 
uh you know feel are, are the middle cl- are, are the middle class or people who are the lower middle class yep. who feel um that they're disenfranchised which was very yeah. weird that 70 million people voted for him when it's kind of voting against your own interest mm. hard to understand except maybe under the guise of burn the whole system down but i don't know i'm sort sort of how you feel about race yeah. in the tech industry and what we saw in the election to the extent you care about these things yeah i I wish we could have more nuanced conversations about it. And again, I, I think Twitter is just a horrible platform for having these the conversations. Worst. And yet it's where everybody is. And so that's where the conversations end up We can happening. do fleets, though. We can do we fleets now. We can do now. fleets now. I haven't, I haven't sent a fleet yet, but uh, maybe I'll we'll oh, do it's a fleet horrible. <laughs> is it bad? It's horrible, and it's going to be so addicting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm getting like five, 6,000. I'm getting like 1% of my following or, or 2% or maybe seeing oh, yeah. them now. And, I can, and the number of DMs I'm getting back because I have open DMs is mm. bonkers, like hundreds of them. It's bonkers. Yeah. I think I they might have yet. ruined the platform or just totally unlocked it. It's worth we'll see what other. happens. At least they're at least they're changing something. So but when you uh, think about the nuance, and we just we just got through the election, we're going to yep. be going into a new world. It's been listen, race has been a major issue. Race and tech has been a major issue. I don't know if you have any thoughts on it. You don't yeah, I can't to, comment too much on like the politics of the election, but I think yeah. when it comes to race, uh, I wish we talked a little bit more about culture. I think we we mm-hmm. get obsessed with race and racism and how people look, but I think the cultural norms at different ethnic and social and racial groups have can sometimes act as barriers and america mm-hmm. in a lot of ways if you look at other like big rich western countries like we're an experiment in having uh, a very high degree of multiculturalism and i think it's just difficult when people from different tribes or cultures come together to sort of interact like i have a good friend from east palo alto he's mexican he looks white but he grew up in a very different culture than like right up the road in silicon valley and now he's worked at tech companies and he's had trouble sort of blending in and finding people who like dress the same way he does or listen to the same music that he does. And it's not about race, mm. really. It's about like a shared understanding and like sort of these cultural norms that we don't um, align on. And so what I like to see are initiatives that bridge people together, almost like the opposite of cultural appropriation. I like cultural integration where people can like listen to the same yes. music and, and like basically come to understand each other a lot better and break down a lot of the barriers that allow people to work such together and understand each a other. nuanced point it's, it's like such a nuanced point i think east palo alto for people who don't know is you know it's it's um it would be the equivalent of like bed stuy or something in in the brooklyn analogy so in the same in the same tapestry where brooklyn could have you know the heights you could also have fort green or bed stuy or red hook which are a, a completely different experience to have been raised in right Right. But they're so close proximity to each other that it does lead to this weird um, uh, disjointedness where you feel like maybe we should be closer because we're both from Palo Alto, but you're yep. from Palo Alto and I'm from the one that has East in it. So yeah. I'm kind of ghettoized in this little you know East part of it where Facebook has now gentrified, which is super weird as well. Um, but I wonder when you went to school, did they talk about America being the melting pot? You're a millennial. I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm a Gen Xer. We were like, they kind of indoctrinated us to exactly what you're saying, which is America is great. It must be that somewhere a hundred years ago, people really started to see this, like we need to resolve this race issue or we need to work on it. Right. So let's just call it a stew and everybody <laughs> brings pot. something and it's the melting pot. And right. they said, I mean, they made us draw the melting pot. I think the <laughs> melting pot will get me canceled if I say there should be a melting pot right now i like the idea of a melting pot like i don't I think, think that's great. what we have like we have like what what did you say a stew or these very distinct ingredients and everyone's sort of segregating yeah. and keeping themselves separate and like to a yeah. large degree i mean that's not necessarily by choice a lot of that is like financial uh disparities between different groups you know um but i think things that tend to erase borders and melt people together i think shared cultural norms shared communities breed understanding and we need a lot more understanding in community in america and uh you know if there's any silver lining to the pandemic 
I like the idea that like lots of people from SF have just left and are dispersing all out over the world. I like the idea that cities like Nashville and Atlanta are having a burgeoning tech industry and people who awesome. you know, don't come from like, you know, sort of the elite liberal West and East Coast cultures can take part in like the tech boom and take part in like these shared cultures. And I think the extent to which America segregates is the extent to which we can't understand each other. Like, I, I don't think there exists as such a thing as separate but equal. And I think any form of segregation is really just bad. And the shared cultural experience is the thing that is getting lost. I was talking to a friend of mine who's like, I'll, I'll go with you on this trip, but I can't be in Gen Pop. And I, I just, you know, like, I, I got to fly private. I, you know, and I was like, well, I'm not flying private. I, you know, like, I can't afford to do that. Like, you know, I, I'm going to fly <laughs> pre pandemic. Um, and the idea of waiting online, everybody had to wait online to get through the TSA. Everybody mm -hmm. had to go to the DMV to get their license. So there was this possibility that if you were waiting in line at Starbucks or, you know, and getting a cup of coffee or taking the subway in New York, you might be next to the mayor. You might be next to the mailman. You might be next to the mom. You might be next to the, the grandpa, whatever it was. We had this forced uh, shared experience. And now <laughs> everybody's trying to rip those apart. They're like, here's how you can hack not having to wait in line, which I can appreciate taking our friction, yeah. but it, it always seems to be along, like, you don't want to go through the, the regular terminal. We have Surfair and JetSuiteX. You specifically don't need to be with that group of people, <laughs> you know? Like, you don't have to take the BART. And I remember when I moved to San Francisco, and I've only been in San Francisco like six years. People think I've been here forever. You've been here, I think, longer than me. Yeah, I was in LA, years. and I wanted to go to the Warriors game, and I just looked at the traffic, and I'm like, I'm not sitting in that traffic. And I just looked at the BART times. I took the BART. And people were like, you took the BART? I was like, yeah, I'm going to take the BART home too. And my car's parked in the city. I'm just going to drive back on the BART. And they're like, what's it like? I was like, what's it like? <laughs> You've been here for 20 years. That's nuts. Like, I haven't been on the BART in 20 years. I'm like, I BART to the, you know, the, the old Oracle Arena was pretty delightful and fast. It took 25 minutes compared to 90 minutes to get to a playoff game. I would never actually do that. Um, create your own MVP. Obviously, that's the part of the process. Number four in uh, this, you know, indie hacker process, creating an mm -hmm. MVP. Kind of the lean startup process. You kind of yeah. just plug that in right there. Start small. Start uh, small. Some of my favorite stories are people who created these really small things that eventually became big so like one of the guys mm -hmm. who inspired me peter levels he runs this online community of digital nomads called nomad list and he's just a digital nomad it started off like just deceptively small it was a a google sheet where all these digital nomads would get in and put in information about um you know which city has the fastest wi-fi speed or which cities are the safest etc and i think most people would create that google sheet and be like oh this is great you know and just stop there but then he took that information he put it on a website he improved the website he made it sort of the destination of choice for anyone who wanted to be a digital nomad to do the research you need to do. He leveraged that to create a community for digital nomads so people could talk to each other and ask each other questions and meet up in these areas. He launched a bunch of ancillary tools, a job board for remote workers. And now he's making like he's made millions of dollars from this, bootstrapped Amazing. all of it. And he didn't like he didn't need to start big. He didn't need to ask anybody for permission. He didn't need to raise money. He started with like a Google sheet. And I kind of Love followed it. the same playbook with indie hackers where it's like, yeah. okay, indie hackers was a blog for about a month and a half and then it was a newsletter and then it was a community and now it's you know i think when i joined stripe in 2017 our community had like 100 conversations a month now it's got like 40,000 conversations a month and wow. it's like well how did how did this start like it started off as like a tiny little blog and yep. so that's another thing i love about like you know the mvp mindset it's not merely start with a minimum viable product but it's also like think consciously about 
how when you take one small step, you can leverage that to get to the next step. For my story in particular, it was like, okay, I'm putting out these interviews. People love these interviews with transparent you know, stories from founders. Let me make sure I get all of these people on a mailing list. Okay, people are on the mailing list. Now I can start a community. A community is very hard to start, but I can email the people on this mailing list every single week with different mm. discussions and threads on the community. And it's kind of like an unfair advantage that I would never have had if I just tried to start with the community. Which is your fifth point of the six steps. Uh, find your first customers, which you just explained beautifully, which Naval uh, and Nivi used to have something called Venture Hacks. Yeah, uh, and it turned into AngelList. Before they exactly. had any code, they would just send out a list. And then before I had the syndicate or did Sequoia Scouts, I used to do something called Open Angel Forum, which was just Start six companies. Yeah, six companies presenting to fifteen people, and then build in public. Why is this important? This one is not in the normal play startup play. No. Build in public. <laughs> build in public is a little bit of a selfish one. I like okay. that people build in public <laughs> because uh, it's very helpful to me running into hackers. It's also helpful to I think other people starting businesses, and I think it can be helpful to you. Because there's just so much information out there. And people, like, let's face it, are not like natural born marketers. A lot of people start and like, well, what, what am I going to write that's going to get anyone to even take notice of what I'm doing? And a substantial number of the founders that I talked to uh, ended up building things that blew up because they were willing to be transparent about what they were doing. So I just talked to this guy named Traff the other day. He made something like 300 grand in a month releasing a set of icons. And like, it happened <laughs> because he was... <laughs> he wow. like, iOS came out with like a new version. They allow you to sort of rescan your home screen with your own custom icon set. He had some icons laying around. He could have sort of tweeted them out. They got popular. And he didn't stop there. He's like, wrote about how we made the icons. And he wrote about like how much money he was making. And then like because he shared his revenue numbers, um, MKBHD, this huge YouTuber, was like, yep. oh, this is a really inspiring story. He put them in his YouTube video. The revenue numbers blew up. Then Traff like went on like my podcast and a bunch of other shows. And like he's just like building in public and not hiding his numbers and hiding what's going on. And it's a very inspirational story. Other people also yeah. want to make hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so I think by being transparent with what he did, he was able to sort of magnify it's, his own success. I, I, it's sort of, to me, the equivalent of like looking at the box scores, scores after a basketball game and studying them, which I would do after every Knicks game. And I'd be like, mm -hmm. wow, who's this person getting nine assists, 10 assists, 11 assists? Sure. Oh, and you know, who's this person taking down 14 rebounds? It's like, oh, that's Charles Oakley. Yeah, that's what he does. He scores no points and gets 14 rebounds. And he's like, you know, the Knicks, Dennis Rodman or whatever. And, and when you build in public like that, it does draw people to it. Hey, why, why is there this statistical anomaly or why I was looking at one today, which was just fascinating. They were saying who has the most, I don't know. Do you follow basketball much or a little bit NBA? Yeah. So there's a concept of isolation plays, which is mm -hmm. basically James Harden, Camarillo, Anthony, Chris Paul, Westbrook. You dribble the ball a whole bunch yourself and then you shoot. You take 20 of the 24 seconds. ISO play means you isolate the one player. Right. Boom. You, you know the, the term for people who mm -hmm. don't. And they were just like two <laughs> of the four players in the last like three years with the most ISO plays. <laughs> it was like James Harden, obviously number two. And then Westbrook yeah. was number two or three. Like, And you're like, Okay, maybe these two players don't need, they're talking about them being traded out of Houston. Maybe they don't need to be traded. Maybe they need to play basketball differently. <laughs> like maybe shoot a two-pointer once in a while or maybe not dribble the ball for 22 seconds. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's just really interesting, this growing stuff in public. It does, um, it shows people demonstrable growth. Um, I know when my magazine went from black and white photocopy to color photocopy to newspaper color to glossy. Mm -hmm. Everybody talked about it differently and they treated me differently based on the paper stock. Now think about that. 
the paper stock. And I can remember it. I was meeting with the printer and I was like, okay, show me this paper stock. Show me this paper stock. And I'm like looking for the new printer. And I said, this, this is not heavy enough. And he's like, you know, you can't really mail this stuff. Like you, you, you already have a 60 pound stock cover, which is the weight of the paper, you know, whatever. Uh, and I said, well, what's the next level up? He's like, you don't want the next level up. I was like, tell me about the next level up. He's like, that's 80 pound stock. And I was like, who does that? And they're like, Art Form is the only magazine that's ever done it. And I was like, okay, what's the level above that? He's like, it doesn't exist. Nobody, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, okay, I'll do their thing. And so I just traded the stock of the, the paper. And when you felt the cover, you know, like you couldn't rip it. It was like that heavy. You ever get like an art magazine? Yeah. And it's it like so felt heavy. substantial. Like, it felt substantial. And then I upgraded the paper on the inside to what my competitors were doing as their cover. In other words, the mm. paper stock inside was like, became like 60. So this made it feel on a tactical basis, tactical basis that it was transforming into something really important. And it's, it's almost the difference between hardcover, softcover books, or when people do, I just ordered some books. I don't know if it was Stripe or somebody has their own publishing arm and they had the Prince of Persia book. Yeah, Stripe, uh, Stripe Press. Stripe. Okay, so I didn't mean to give you an, an, a plug, but I bought all. I just saw Stripe had Stripe Press, and I literally just bought all the books. They're all because great. I was. They're all great, and I was like, "Look at these books! It's really interesting." I don't know what they're up to at Stripe, but whenever they do something, I pay attention. So I bought all the books, and I started reading the the story of the Prince of Persia, and it was on its own like different type of stock paper, and I was like, "Oh, somebody's paying attention to details." So you sold the company to Stripe, mm-hmm. and. Three years ago? Four years ago? Yeah. Three years ago, April of 2017. So about nine months after I started ND Hackers, uh, I joined Stripe. You joined Stripe. Stripe's valuation has gone 20x yeah. since then. So you're timing 10, 20x in that time period. So I hope you got equity. I'm five, assuming you four did. Four or five x. Four or five x. So you, you did amazing. If you took equity, I'm assuming you did. Why did Stripe want to buy it? And why did you sell it? Because it seems to me that if you were independent right now, mm-hmm. It could be making millions of dollars in advertising and memberships, like, you know, uh, possibly apps without code making five or yeah. Lambda. I could see you being easily making five to $10 million a year and being worth 20 times that. And you could be, uh, you know, your own boss. Like, I mean, what were you saying earlier you about like the scorecard, money being a scorecard? And you, it's yeah. always easy to not be happy and think about yeah, who's yeah. making more money than you. And I think right. that's kind of a, like, there is no ancient religious or philosophical or modern self help book that says that, uh, you could, you know, be happy by comparing yourself to others. And yeah. uh, so I, I don't think like a ton, like what, what if I didn't sell Stripe? how much, you know, there's really no point, like I'm doing fine. Uh, right. And I think it's kind of a match made in heaven. Like I never thought of selling indie hackers. Indie hackers was mm-hmm. my own indie hacker business. I think in nine months, I grew the revenue to about $8,000 a month, which in San Francisco was enough to pay my rent, my bills, and kind of get to that point where I could do whatever I wanted. And I flew down to Mexico for a buddy's sort of bachelor party. And I was checking my, my email after I got off the plane. And there was one like at the top of my inbox that was from Patrick Collison at Stripe, you know, acquire indie hackers. And I thought it was fake, to be honest. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Somebody's <laughs> uh, punking yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, why would anyone, by yeah, my friends? Wanna, this makes no sense. Uh, so I opened all my other emails first and then I went back to read that one. Uh, and it was Patrick saying like, yeah, we've been admiring what you're doing at indie hackers. We think it's cool. We could work together. Would you ever kind of sort of maybe be open to Stripe acquiring it? So we ended up meeting and getting brunch and kind of feeling each other out. And I think what was important to me was that our goals and our incentives just really aligned. I think a lot of people enter into these partnerships or deals or acquisitions where it's like, oh, you know, they want this and I want that. And it's only slightly off. But like even like a small degree of difference over time widens into a huge gap. And like you have these very unhappy founders where the company gets trashed by the acquirer. And there was no gap with Stripe and Indie Hackers. What Stripe wants or to do... Or the acquirer. 
or the acquired company trashes the parent company, as exactly. is the case with yeah. Instagram and the WhatsApp founders, exactly. who both became worth billions and billions of dollars and publicly derided the person who made them a billionaire. That's like so weird when you think about it. Yeah. Uh, like talk about know. misalignment, just a I little I don't know what Zuck's of- doing. What's that? I don't know what Zuck's doing to get people to say the stuff about him, but- uh- Well, I mean- it's it's actually a discussion I've had, you know, with like insiders and mm. he does have friends. I think, you know, maybe some of the product decisions like move fast, break things and, you know, maybe not caring about the outcomes. If you think about applying that to your personal life, um, if you did, if one did mm. that, what would that look like? What would be the outcome? If you didn't nurture relationships with friends, if you didn't maintain relationships, yeah, you it, they would drift and the person might feel like maybe our country feels or other countries feel or both political parties feel, which is that Facebook doesn't care about them and, right. and that maybe Facebook is just not thoughtful. Yeah. And if you were to apply that to personal relationships, and, and, and I really don't want to be mean to an individual person, but it is very interesting on a business level that almost universally, you know, if you took the top 20 people who made money from Facebook, 15 of them are probably public massive critics of Zucks and not his friends anymore. Yeah. Very weird. Super a singular weird. personality. And I think, uh, I don't know anything about him, so I'm not going to say it. Yeah, I know. It. That's the thing is, you know, like I, I, yeah. I literally met him the first week he was in Silicon Valley. It was like a very weird. Yeah. Uh, but I think know, like I was tweeting about yeah. this earlier. Um, yeah. It's easy when you start a business to get wrapped up in this mission. And like, I think often like the more correlated that mission is with making lots of money, like you're starting this huge unicorn, the easier it is to just become all consumed by it and start sacrificing yep. your personal relationships. And one of the things that I've Morals, seen with a lot of indie hackers, ethics. yeah, all that stuff can go easily go out the window. There's a dollar yeah. amount where pre- people will pretty much abandon anything. And one of the things that I've seen with lots of indie hacker businesses, including my own, is all these other intangible ways that like your business can actually make your life better. So if you think about mm. starting a company, it's like you're paying with a lot of time. If you're working on your business for like five years. That's five years of your life you're never going to get back. Like ideally, yeah. the time you spend working on it is rewarding, not just a cost that you paid. Yeah. So like you can start a business to make yourself financially independent, but you can also start a business that like forces you to do a bunch of other things that you probably want in your life anyway. So for like you and this podcast, for example, you get to spend your time talking to a lot of like really creative, smart, successful. I mean, it's literally people. the joy of my life is getting to meet people like you and just like we're now friends. Like we had like a sure. real conversation. I feel like. If we saw each other or we wanted to go out and have lunch, we'd talk for another two hours, right? Yeah. And, like, and you can that's do that because I'm, of your business, right? Like it, it literally you didn't have my this business podcast, to make you probably friends. wouldn't do this, right? You can, with Andy Hackers, we started these meetups, uh, which are now dead thanks to the pandemic. But for a that while sucks. there, we had like, like 70 meetups a month in cities all across the world. I went to Cape Town. There are like 60 indie hackers there. They're Amazing. all super smart, cool, driven. Everybody wants to take people. a selfie with you. They all wanted to go out drinking and take a cool restaurant. Until 1 yeah, like, like you oh, basically cool. created the world you want to live in. Yeah, I can travel anywhere I want. And now, like, I have friends in any city. And uh, go figure any other indie hacker could do the same thing. They could start a yep. business that allows them to do, learn whatever they want to learn or hang out with whoever they want to hang out with or visit whatever yes. country or like you could start a business that gets you in better health you know maybe you yeah. want to be in good shape start a business that like literally forces you to i don't know review health food products or like do a podcast interview show on youtube where you have to like run uh while doing these interviews with like i just you could just like do something creative to force yourself to do as opposed to if you decided like i don't know i want to be an options trader because i i read that's the way to make the most money is to be <sighs> a quant or something now right. if you love that work you know and you're a tailor from billions and like solving quant <laughs> problems makes you stay up for 24 hours straight 
great, Mazel tov. But if you're doing it just to make money and 20 years of your life go by, well, what you missed out on was the alignment of going to work every day and having making money align with enjoyment. Totally. And this is like, me when I moved to Silicon Valley. I mean, I spent a good two years of my life in my 20s doing nothing but writing code for an idea I didn't really give a shit about. Mm. And I made like very few memories that year. I turned down a lot of like hangouts with friends. I was trying mm. to do the sort of deferred life plan, like, you know, work super hard for a few years. And then like it all makes sense later on because now you're rich and you can go like, yeah. live your life. And it's like, well, why do you need the journey of building your startup to be this miserable process? Like it doesn't have to be like it can actually be a fun process where you're making friends, learning new things, visiting cool places, a million yeah. other things while you're building your business. 100% correct. You got to enjoy the journey. Listen, uh, oh, and by the way, when Stripe bought it, was that when they launched Atlas? The, the they launched Atlas start? before, before Andy Hackers. See, I think that was like the motivation. Like, I, I mean, in addition <laughs> to it being brilliant and you being obviously brilliant, they have a really cool product, uh, Atlas. I'll give it a free plug, but you can basically do company formation through it. Yep. And so if people want to, <laughs> you know, charge people, uh, you know, and they want to start a business, like that's exactly Stripe's wheelhouse. So go to IndieHackers.com. Stripe's a good example of capitalism gone right, where it's in Stripe's best interest to make it as easy as possible for other people to start businesses, to educate them, to help them, to inspire 100%. them. 100%. Shopify, win -win same everybody. thing. Exactly. Yeah, everybody wins. It's, and, I, you know, I think that's a... I just had a company on the pod yesterday um, that was, um, you know, doing a dish cleaning robot. And the founder was talking about, yeah, I was just talking about, it'd be great to eliminate the job of dishwasher. Having done that job, it is so miserable to spend 12 hours washing dishes. Like, your hands are raw. It just sucks. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, we, and we always create more jobs. We always create more jobs. And Indie Hackers... You know, Patreon. I, I listen to podcasts now and then I go look at they they you know talk about building in public. The 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 women who do Red Scare or mm. some of the other podcasts on Patreon, they they show how much money they make. And I'm like, look, they're making twenty thousand a month. They're making a quarter million yeah. dollars. Yeah, they they're making $125,000 each talking to a, into a microphone for two hours a week. <laughs> one they do public, one they do private. I'm like, literally, I could have lived in New York and made $125,000 a year doing two hours of talking a week. And then what would I do for the rest of the week? There's a lot of trouble I could have gotten. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like uh, this whole idea of these platforms is fascinating because if you look at kind of like V1 of social networks, they're all about connection. You know, Facebook, connect with your friends, connect with your family. And then V2 is all about like status. So there's connection on Twitter and Instagram, but there's also the status component where it's like, look how many subscribers and followers. Follower count. Like, Likes. You know, I, or I got like the, you know, the only, I'm the only person who's got the handle Jason, right? Like, yes. that's cool for you. Like, it's hard for you to walk away from. But now I think a lot of these platforms are like not just connection, not just status, but it's also like make a living, earn revenue on YouTube. I think, you know, if you look at Substack and Medium and a lot of these other platforms, they're pulling people away from Twitter who work in the tech industry who are giving all this information away for free via tweets. And they're saying, no, I actually want to get paid to share a lot of my wisdom instead of just tweeting it for free. Yeah. So I, I love this idea of like, yeah, let's get rid of the old jobs. Let's replace them with newer jobs that are just more pleasant, that are easier, that are more productive and valuable to society. And I think the platforms that win are going to be the ones that not only provide connection and status, but also provide a way for people to make money. And then also, as you're saying, like broadcast the stories of people who are making the most money on those platforms. That's why in Indie Hackers, I'm always saying, you know, what's your revenue number? How much money are you making? And I always like, try to share these stories far and wide because it's super inspirational to hear somebody succeeding. There's websites where you can go to and like see the top creators on Patreon and see exactly how much money they're making. And like that can light a fire under your ass to actually get started. I, I literally have had this happen to me where people have said, you know, you've been my great inspiration. I saw you do this and I realized if Jason Calacanis can do it, I can do it. 
And I was like, <laughs> thanks. I think that's sort of a compliment. <laughs> it's like, if that dipshit can make it work, I can make it work. But that's uh, great. Better. That's what we need more of. <laughs> we need more of that. <laughs> this idiot figured it out. <laughs> you can too. <laughs> uh, listen, Cortland, you have been an amazing guest. Uh, we got to do this again. Uh, Anytime. Congratulations on the success. Great, great, great guest on a pod. Wow. Um, everybody go. And just, I, I, it's nice to have some optimism uh, and in the world too. I mean, I think we need it right now because people, it's been a rough year for people, right? It's been rough. And the opportunity, I think 2021 forward is going to be amazing. Like the lift of getting Trump out of office and getting these vaccines and everybody learning how to work remote and all yeah. these tools being adopted. It's going to be sick. Like I call people up. I have people as guests on the pod. I would only have people in person for five mm -hmm. years. If you didn't want to come in person, you couldn't be on the pod. So people would make trips to San Francisco to be on the pod, do meetings, have dinners with people. It was just, you know, I would tell people when you're in town, then you can be on the pod. We took that out. Now I get podcast guests that I never thought I would get. Like I just had the chairwoman, or one of the chairmen or women of the SEC on the pod. Right. She's like, yeah, I'll come on the pod. Sure. Yeah. And then you call them and it's like, they already have a podcast set up. It's like, of course I've got a podcast set up. <laughs> yeah. Who do you think I am? It's 2020. It's the year it's of remote. It's it's the year of remote. Of course I've yes, of course I've got a professional microphone and headsets and <laughs> an HD camera, digital SLR. All right, everybody follow Cortland Allen, uh, C S Allen A L L E N. He does not have at Cortland yet. Go buy it. Who's got at Cortland, man? Come I on. should. I don't know. I'm committed Go to C S Allen. I don't care. I don't tweet that much, uh, but I try to make on, a good man. one. I do. Oh, are you in the Naval camp? Do less is more. I mean, I'm Profound. on Indie Hackers. I've got like yes, like ninety five thousand followers on Indie Hackers. I make a post That's there. Right. Everybody gets an email. I've got like thirty thousand on Twitter. It's not yeah. as high value. I think it's hard to have deep conversations there. But um, it used I'll to try be to cool. Tweet more. It, it used, used to be, be cool. cool. Yeah, it's the way things I, go. I, I think you're right, though. I think it's going to be like this segue into, um, you know, private communities and vertical communities because the big ones are just becoming. They all just collapse at a certain point, and we're. we're I think Twitter's at that like collapse point like facebook hit and myspace hit where you're just like oh i just it's 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 oppressive to be on twitter like you you feel the weight of it it's like <laughs> bricks i feel like having a twitter handle for me is like 20 of the 100 bricks i've been carrying in my backpack the past year you know like when the pandemic's over that'll be like 30 bricks trump's out of office another 30 bricks if i could just shut this goddamn twitter account off and it's it gonna be hard it's hard. hard. To do. It's hard. I'm so addicted, and it's so important for my business to be there. But I gotta rethink it. I gotta, I gotta rethink it. Maybe somebody just buy at Jason for a million dollars from me. Jason Statham, you can have it. <laughs> get me off this platform. <laughs> All right, listen, Cortland. Uh, hopefully, we'll get to meet in person someday when the pandemic's over. And Let's play some uh, poker. Oh yes. Oh, oh yes. You we, you play PLO. You play. Uh, uh, no I play limit. PLO. I play No Limit. I play with uh, some of your portfolio companies, Jeff from Underground Seller. Oh yeah, yeah. Jeff's great. I play from uh, Stanley from DoorDash. Oh, we know we uh, got to do is we got to get a uh, a poker. -er 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 -er. Do you play the poker -er 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 app? Yeah, I've P -O -K -E -R 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 too. Yeah, I've been. I mean, I went into the pandemic up significantly in my game, and uh -huh. coming out of the pandemic, I will be down <laughs> because my friends are like, "Let's play PLO." I was like, "Sure." I mean, PLO is the devil's game. I mean, talk oh, you about can variance. lose so fast in PLO. It's like, oh, I've got the best hand, and everybody else is like, "I think I could have the best hand." Yeah, I'm drawing to the nuts. Yeah, I'm drawing to the nuts. Yeah, I'm drawing to the second nuts. And all of a sudden, you have four people in a pot, and you're 
you're up against and then people are running it twice and all of a sudden it's like I, the cards come out so fast i don't even know what happened i have to replay the hand to just see how did i lose that hand when i had top set and it's like oh you had top set you're totally gonna lose <laughs> so, but you don't lose in no limit hold them it's like yeah because you don't have the other two cards <laughs> i i want to hand the other day we're at a, a royal uh flush <laughs> which obviously oh, you got happen. your first royal i yeah. got my first royal and of course it was in plo and someone else had like something like uh i think they had a boat and of course, yeah. yeah of I mean, course, they went hard, piled it all in, and I was uh, very it, happy I'm, about that hand. I've had hands now where I flopped like the nuts, the other person turned the nuts, and then I rivered the nuts. Like the nuts to the nuts to the nuts. So you, 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 you flop top set, the next person flops the top straight, and then you flop top flush you know or something <laughs> or you know or you pair the board pairs and you get your boat and yeah. it just the back and the fourth and then if you have a three-way hand and do you guys set run it twice on yours yeah we do so that takes the variance down a little bit so you take the variance down, you got three people in a pot and then you run it twice and then like it's like oh yeah the board paired twice on the river and so like this person boated up after you had the nut flush and you're just like what is going on? This game is crazy. <laughs> Such a crazy game. I, and, you know, it hasn't been solved. That, that's what all the poker people tell me is that it largely hasn't been solved to the level No Limit has. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's, it's still got a lot of like the best players are still trying to figure out how to level each other in it. You know, it's a lot of fun, which is a lot of fun. Like I know somebody who literally in a very large game will go all in um like three or four times without even knowing what their cards are and somehow they they get out of the box every time because they're just doing a marig <laughs> uh the marigold strategy whatever this you double your bets mm -hmm. so they're just well you play with these, these huge maniacs <laughs> yeah you play with maniacs with uh flat size is probably a lot bigger than, than i play with yeah 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 and so as we say in our home game win a prius lose a prius yeah <laughs> Pretty brutal. I'm not trying to gamble a Prius, so maybe we won't play. But uh, yeah, uh, we'll talk I mean, about get, it. Get, lose an Uber Black, win an Uber Black. That's probably <laughs> a little bit better. <laughs> All right, talk to you soon. Uh, thanks for coming on the pod. Cheers, bye. Yeah, anytime.